God in His own time and in His own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to His promise, Jesus will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. So, you say, well, when does that happen? It says, in God's time. You say, well, what do all the different beasts and things mean? doesn't say. We can have different of opinions and still be in the same family. Now, that's hard for us because all of us want to be right. All of us think we have the market cornered. That is why I read very few new books because I'm just tired of people trying to sell more books. Uh, and there is always a personal angle. It's always a personal this. And if you're writing a book right now, I'm sorry. It's not meant to upset you. But it's just almost to the point of ridiculousness. I go to these pastor's conference, and what they try to get you to do is read books about the Bible, uh, books about what someone thinks about the Bible, but you hear very little on, hey, why don't we read the Bible? And so uh, I'm kind of a, just an old grouchy man anymore at this point, and so I'm just like, give me this right here. I want to hear it when I'm listening to my preaching. I want to hear it when I'm listening to others preaching and I believe that is the answer. And so I read that because books worth of knowledge can be written and this is the extent of what we have to agree on. And so when we come to chapter 4, um, we are now looking at what is to come. We look there in Revelation 1 and you say, Jake, why are the notes so blank tonight? Because there is so much here, I have no idea what you're going to want to know. All right? So I left you ample area just to write to your heart's content. Um, but anytime you start chapter 4, you really have to address the issue of the rapture because there are many people that use chapter 4 as a basis of support that the Lord talks about the church. When the church age is over, the rapture of the church happens. The church is not mentioned again in the book of Revelation until the very end. And so where is the church? Now, I'm going to tell you that I think you can get both views from that in this passage of Scripture, and you can make the decision for yourself. But I want to read the text, and then we'll pray. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and I doubt that we will get through most of it. And these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Those two words are very, very important there. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they have crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. 
Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Their four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they knew not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 for Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created." If you would pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I stand here tonight fully aware that I am incapable, unable, uh, Lord, without you to do anything of value. I pray tonight that you would allow your Holy Spirit to guide the words of my mouth, the intent of our heart. And Lord, just bless us and honor your promise that your word would never return void. Lord, we thank you for it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I just want to show you here in your introduction area, there are four views of when the rapture happens. The rapture of the church is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, you, are aware, you can uh, flip over there with me if you'd like to read it. It's also described in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to read both of them tonight, but we will read... 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. You say, Jake, the scripture is not on there. It's because I don't want to reward you for not bringing your Bible to church. But <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm, that is a joke. That is just a joke. I just was running short on time. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in the Lord. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." The first position that is listed there is a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. This is what most of you grew up in church being taught. It's what I believe the Bible teaches. It is the view that at any moment, in any time, in any day, the Lord is going to come back for His church. Just like that. That means Christians should be aware, they should be on guard at any moment that could happen. 
The dead in Christ will rise. The bodies of those who are in the ground will be immediately changed, turned into a resurrected body that will never grow old, never grow weary, and soul and body will be reunited in the clouds. Those of us who are alive and believers will be immediately changed and leave this world. Now, the rapture of the church, whether you believe it is at the beginning, mid, or the end, is not negotiable. The dead in Christ will rise. Resurrected bodies will be given. That is something that has to happen. You are not going to stay just spirit for all of eternity. You are going to have a body like Jesus. One that never wears out, never grows old, that we've seen in His post-resurrection. Now, the reason I believe that is like this says, that this is a meeting in the clouds. It's not a meeting on the earth. The Bible talks about a day of the Lord in the Old Testament about when the Lord is going to come back and set His foot in Jerusalem and destroy His enemies. So the pre-tribulation view of the rapture is the church will leave this earth, go to be with heaven, and then the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation will begin. It is a time of judgment specifically created for the Jewish people. It is a time where God fulfills all of the Old Testament promises to them that they have squandered. You say, well, Jake, is there a Jewish gospel and a Gentile gospel? Absolutely not. But yet God made promises to the Jewish people through Abraham, um, through Isaac, that have to be fulfilled or God is a liar. And for me, that is the strongest support for a pre-tribulation rapture is not the fact that Christians want to avoid persecution, not the fact that Christians should be here for the persecution, it is the fact that there are so many promises in God's Word to the Jewish people that have to be fulfilled. Now, I grew up in a different church than this one. And I have an uncle that is a wonderful Bible teacher, but believes that all of the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in the New Testament church. I disagree with that. Because there are so many promises that are involving the land that are involving the city, and we do not possess Jerusalem, we do not possess the temple, and we do not possess the city in Israel. So, seven-year period happens, the Lord returns at the end of that seven-year period, destroys His enemies, and rules on this earth in a millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. I do not believe it is figurative, I believe it is a literal 1,000 year reign where all of the promises in the Old Testament that have not been fulfilled are fulfilled for the Jewish people, believing and trusting in Christ. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan is released. There is a great uh, destruction of him and then the lost and him are thrown into the lake of fire. We see then that a new heaven, a new earth in Revelation chapter 21 and we will rule and reign with him forever. That is the first view. The second view you see there is a pre is a mid tribulation view. It holds to pretty much the same view except the church will be here for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And at that midpoint, when the Antichrist rises up, reveals himself, then the rapture of the church happens. The third one is a pre wrath rapture. And that is that the church is in the tribulation through almost all of it 
And until chapter 16, which we'll look at, then the rapture will happen. Or the post-tribulation view. And this view does not see a returning of Christ for 1 Thessalonians 4. It holds that when Jesus comes back to destroy His enemies in Revelation 20, and in 19, excuse me, then the dead in Christ are raised. Okay? And so we meet Him in the air, in the post-tribulation, and then as He continues to step foot on earth, we follow with Him. If you would like to hold to any of these views, you will be able to find more than enough people to agree with you. You will be able to find more than enough books written. And while I will disagree with you, that's okay. As long as you believe these simple truths that we read in that paragraph, that Jesus is coming back again, that the dead in Christ will rise, that they will be with Him forever. Those are the main points. The reason, like I said, that I hold to the first of those beliefs is the simple fact, one, the whole entirety of the Old Testament, but also from here in chapter 4. In chapter 4 we see here, and look, finally, brethren, and we see John's invitation if you're taking notes tonight. Finally then, brethren, oh, I'm in First Thessalonians, excuse me, Rome, Revelations 4. And these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, could this be that the Lord has called just John up, or it is a picture of Him calling all of us up? Just like we looked last week in the lukewarm church, when so many people do not like to address the, the Lord knocking on the door of His church and the Lord knocking on the door of the heart, it is written in the singular. It is singular for as John. It's not written as a group of people, which would have been great if it was. If it would have been plural, we could have looked and said, hey, this proves the rapture is happening at the beginning, but it doesn't as much as I wish it did. But it goes on to says, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Will you say that is meaning it was a trumpet? No, it was like a trumpet. I wish it was a trumpet. <laughs> then we could once again say it's absolutely talking about the rapture. But I believe what it is actually talking about is John. Do I believe you can use it to support a pre-tribulation rapture? Absolutely. But do I believe you can use it not to support one? Absolutely. And you say, Jake, so which is it? You can take your own notes. Immediately in verse, it goes on there and says though, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. These two words probably, in my opinion, support a pre-tribulation rapture because what he's talked about in the last two chapters has been the church, the different stages of the church, the different kinds of church, literal, figurative. And then he says, after this, then these things must happen in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to chapter 19. And so after this has to be after something. And so some scholars would say, well, it happens because it's after chapters 2 and 3. Well, that doesn't really make any sense to me. You could have just said, these things must take place. But it doesn't. And so it's looking toward the future whenever that may be. 
Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold. And so, we need to stop right there and you're saying, Jake, are you ever going to get through this? Maybe not. But what happens here is this chapter of Scripture has been used by so many people to justify trips to heaven. And you read books about them, 9 minutes in heaven, 37 minutes in heaven, 23 minutes in hell, all of these books. And some of you have probably read them, some of you have probably enjoyed them. And what I'm going to tell you is a really simple truth. Most of them are not true. You can read through them and talk about how the fact that some of them said, well, Jesus baptized me numerous times in the river and, and just all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? Does it happen? I can't answer that. It's never happened to me. But what we see from John's experience here is this, and Paul's, is that it was never about them. It was never about their experience. In Paul's experience, he was even shown things that he couldn't what? That he was not supposed to tell because it was not, not, not necessary. John, when he writes, it's all about Jesus and the Lamb and all of these things. And so we have to be very careful when we read things or when we study things. Do we all want to know more about heaven? Absolutely. Do we all want to know what it's going to be like even more than we do? Absolutely. But we just have to be very, very careful. But what we see here, though, is John has experienced this. And when he begins to experience it, it's all about the Lord. It's all about the glory of God. And friends, that is so important. When you listen to someone teach the Bible that you maybe watch on the news, or you listen to someone teach the Bible on the radio that you don't necessarily know, you can't evaluate their life as you can your own pastor and your own Sunday school teacher and look at the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. But what you should listen for is does the teaching glorify God? Is it all about them or is it about Him? Is it all about what they've done or what the Lord has done? And even if you begin to teach, if God calls you to teach, whether it's in the third and fourth grade class or the first and second grade class or it's the senior adult class, when you're preparing your lesson, is it about Him? Is it about what He's done? Because that's what people need. That is the answer to the problem that we face. And so he says that, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. It appearance like an emerald. Now, we have to know this, that it's not saying that it was jasper. It was like that. It was this beautiful picture. It was this beautiful thing of glory. And uh, we're getting ready to watch a coronation. Well, I'm not going to watch the coronation in England because 1776, right? But some people will, uh, uh, some people will be fascinated with, uh, I'm just being silly. Yeah, one to nothing. How about that, England? Uh, people will, will, 
will watch this coronation and there's going to be jewelry, there's going to be crowns, there's going to be all this bling, as you could say it. And it's giving us this picture in an earthly form of what we can wrap our head around. It is something glorious, it is something beautiful, it is something amazing. But don't miss the rainbow. That is what I find most significant in this. What does the rainbow symbolize from the, New, from the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a promise, right? A promise that God would never flood the earth again in its entirety. But yet we see here in this passage of Scripture that there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. I think it is very important because I think it is affirming to us that God's promises, that God is a promise keeper, that God's promises don't just reflect what is on earth, but His promises are true for eternity. So if God promised to put me in the palm of His hand, His promise is not just good for while I'm here, it's for ever. If God promised that He would forgive me, if I call upon His name and I ask for forgiveness, that He will forgive me and it will last for eternity. As you, if you have a study Bible, you could probably see that this cool emerald green <laughs> dominates the multicolor rainbow surrounding God's throne. You could also find that in Ezekiel chapter 1. And what MacArthur says is, is, from the time of Noah, the rainbow became a sign of God's faithfulness to His Word, His promises, and His covenant with Noah. And so we're just getting this beautiful picture here of what it's like, what John sees, and the fact that God is the focus. Heaven is not amazing because there's a, a giant throne that is bigger than anything on this earth. It is all about the one who what? Sat on the throne. Heaven is all about, for most people, I want to see my loved ones and I'm ready. That they want to see their, they want to do their favorite activity for all of heaven or whatever nonsense they've convinced themselves. But the greatest thing about heaven is the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Being with Him forever. Being able to bask in His glory and His perfection and His holiness and all of the things that make Him Him. And that's what John's trying to call our attention to, to him, to what he is doing, what he is like. Because just like John had an invitation, that second part of your notes there, we see the Lord and his throne, his throne. And it goes on in verse 4 and it says, around the throne, around the throne, were <clears throat> 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the th throne proceeded lightnings, thunder, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And so what we see here is this great throne, but around the throne there are lesser thrones. And like I said, I brought these two different Bible commentators with me tonight because none of them agree. One Bible commentator that holds to a pre-tribulation view of the rapture says this is a picture of the church. 
worshiping around the throne after it's been raptured. Another commentator says, no, this is a significant and special group of angels that is worshiping the Lord. Some people would say it is representative of the 24 uh, branches of the Old Testament priesthood. Some would say it is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And whichever you want to write down in your notes, have at it. Have at it. Because I will tell you there are verses and there are scriptures and there are all of these things that you could leave here tonight holding to any of those views in my opinion. But don't miss what is the most important. You won't see that unless you look down until the end of this chapter. In the end of this chapter in verse 10, because as we go through Revelation, if you stop for every barking dog, you'll never get to where you're going. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. See, they're worshiping Him. Whoever it is, whether it's the Old Testament and New Testament, whether it's the priesthood, whether it's the church, whether it's a group of angelic beings, we don't know. But the focus is again on Him. John wants you to be enamored with the fact that God is who He is. That God sits on the throne. That God is worthy to be worshipped. That God is a promise keeper. That He rules and reigns and everything is okay. Everything is going according to plan. And so the Lord and His throne... And we look there because it talks about these individuals. In verse 5 and it says, And from the throne proceeds lightning, thundering, voices. It's just this idea of these are powerful things. The power of God. And so we see the power of God, the worship of God, the, the majesty of God, the promise keeper of God. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. Most people look at this as a representation of the Holy Spirit, seven in its completeness. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. doesn't say there was a glass ceiling. doesn't say it was a glass sea. It was like glass. One commentator says it is clear so that God can see down to His creation. I disagree with that. God is all-knowing. God doesn't need to see through clear glass. But I think once again, it is just for us to understand the fact that God does see. It's a reminder for us to know that God is aware. That God is not hiding Himself. I think it is important once again to notice that it's not saying that uh, there is no sea in heaven or there is a sea in heaven. It is like glass. I think it is important for us to be very careful... To not say, oh, well, great, I'm just going to go ice skating for all of eternity. No, no. I've heard some dumb comments from people, all right? We're seeing once again here in the midst of the throne. It's calling us back to focus on the throne. To focus on who sits on the throne. Because while we go through the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at some crazy stuff, some seals and some judgments and some trumpet and some bowls and... And just all kinds of stuff. And, and uh, you need to be reminded, as John was being reminded, that the Lord is in control. Whatever your view of the rapture, like we looked at all four views in the very beginning, 
Whatever your views of when it's going to happen or when it's uh, going to take place, don't forget who's in charge, who's in control. And that is a promise that we should be reminded of. Thoughts, questions? Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing, though, is in discipline of, of interpreting Scripture, and we cannot make an allegory out of anything. If the Bible has an explanation of allegory, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. We can't assign, well, this is this and this is that, because more than likely we're going to be wrong. Well, I don't know I would say more than likely. I would say that there's a good chance we could be wrong for sure. I think that we study Scripture uh, knowing what God has said about Himself, uh, what He has described as Himself, uh, and absolutely we have to be very, very cautious for sure. All right. The next thing we see here after we looked at the Lord and His throne is the four living creatures... And their message. The four living creatures and their message. In the second part of verse 6 it says, And around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, once again, depending on who you read and what you study, you will get a lot of different opinions, a lot of different feelings. I think you can see from the Old Testament when we see things about the cherubim, a cherubim, Jeroboam is who I'm thinking of. Ah, you know what I'm talking about. It's been a long day. That we see in the Old Testament that they represent God's presence, power, and holiness. And I wanted to read one of these to you because I thought it was very good. If I can find it. The fact that they are described as being full of eyes indicates divine knowledge and wisdom. They have access to the omniscient wisdom of God to carry out His command and His judgments. The reader is assured that all of heaven operates under the infinite wisdom of God. His wisdom and grace shall indeed prevail. J.B. Carrod writes, There will be no triumph of God's sovereignty at the expense of of His mercy. While I struggle with saying that those beings have divine wisdom, I do believe they are are doing what the Lord has commanded of them, accomplishing the task. The eyes could definitely represent uh, the all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipresent, omnipotence of God. But whatever the purpose of these animals are, or excuse me, not animals, of these beings are, is what? The worship. Just like the focus of the throne was Him. 
Just like the focus of the elders is Him. Just like this, the focus is Him. And so when we get into all of these different things, and like I said, books and books to describe, and Southern Baptists have condensed it to one paragraph. One little paragraph. And I thought, I'll go to seminary, and they'll tell me exactly what I'm supposed to believe, why I'm supposed to believe it, and I can come back and do exactly what I'm told. That is not what seminary is about. This is the stuff they tell you. You got this paragraph and you can read the entire book of Revelation. It's just got to fit in that one paragraph. You, you sure that that's it? <laughs> Nothing else to go on? No, that's it. And so when we see here, let's look at what they are saying. Holy, holy, holy. Some Bible commentators like to refer, reference the fact that these three are because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While I don't disagree with that, I think a better interpretation is because of what it goes on and says in the later part of that verse. Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I think it should be referenced with the was, is, and will be. He's only, always been holy and in control. He is holy and in control. And He will be holy and in control. They're just reminding us again of who God is. The fact that He's always been this way, He is this way, and He will always be that way. And so wherever I'm at in my walk with the Lord, whether I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley, whether I'm a new Christian or I am seasoned and strong in my faith, He is who He says that He is. That's not going to change. It's not going to change whether I'm standing by a casket it's not going to change if I am standing by a young child giving their life to the Lord. It doesn't change while you're in the doctor hearing the words cancer-free. Or it doesn't change if we're standing in the doctor and they say, there's nothing we can do. It doesn't change if it's on our wedding day when everything seems perfect and wonderful and happy and it's all cupcakes and roses for the rest of your marriage. Or it doesn't change when you're in counseling and you're hurt. And you're wounded. The same God that you worshipped then is the same God that you can worship today. The same promises He gave you then are the same promises He gives you today. And friends, when we can focus on that, when that becomes the focus of the entire Bible, it begins to change what we believe. It, it gives us confidence in the face of the storms of life. It gives us confidence in the situations that come. I, uh, I was so blessed. I grew up in a wonderful home with wonderful parents. Uh, you know, they took us to church even when we didn't want to go. Uh, I was thankful for that now that I'm an adult. wasn't as thankful for it on Sunday nights. And when my kids complain about not wanting to go to church, I'm like, you don't know how good you've got it! Compared to what, anyway, there's another story for another day. Church is fun, right? I mean, I got gym and anyway. <laughs> Sit there on Sunday night and behave yourself and you can bring two cars, but they better not get too loud up there, right? Banging them together. But I'm thankful because even as a kid, I can remember things that happened. I can remember times when, 
when a song leader fell into sin but then came back and rededicated his life to the Lord and wept and the church prayed for him. And I, I think, wow, I was just a kid, but I remember that. I remember different people standing up on... I know we, apparently you guys didn't sing this as much being missionary Baptists, but us uh, generally Baptists sang it all the time. I it was on a Monday, somebody touched me. And I can still remember as a kid looking around going... Hey, my Uncle Clyde stood up on that day. Hey, my Uncle Bobby stood up on that day. My parents stood up on that day. Oh, uh, that, I, and I can still remember that in my mind. And you say, Jake, what does that matter? It taught me there were other people that loved Jesus. That God is in the saving business. And so those things, which is, might be as silly as you think they are, have stuck in my mind. But I said all of that because... I just thought marriage and life and raising kids was, it was just easy. My parents made it look easy. Apparently I am not as spirit-filled as they, all right? Because it is a challenge. It is a struggle. It is a constant battle with the things of the world and knowing what to do and not to do and, and all that goes on. If you'd have told me and bet me that I would live in a house with seven females... I'd have told you there is nothing greater in the whole world. There are times when I get hugs and I love you and things like that that I wouldn't trade it for a moment. But there are other times. It is, and I pray that it's the number of completion in our house. And there are other moments I think, how can this family hate each other that much? When I hear from the back of the van, I'm going to kill you. Man, that's intense. But I say all of that because most of you have lived long enough to know that if you base your Christian faith on if everyone's nice to you at church or if it's only in times of blessing, you are going to be disappointed. I cannot begin to tell you how many times someone will come to me like, Pastor, you mad at me? No, not at all. At least I don't think so. You didn't say hi four weeks in a row. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. This is... And one time I even said hi to you. I said, which side were you standing when you said hi to me? Well, I don't know. What does that matter? Just humor me. Well, I think I was standing on this side. And I go, hearing aid. Doesn't work. It's there. Just make me look good. All right? If you said it on this side, I'm sorry, but I, I didn't hear it. That's gross, I know. But anyway... I'm sorry. I would, didn't mean it. I apologize. I'm not mad. But people, I have went and visited people that were on their way out. And it was just something that simple. You cannot base anything on anything other than Him. His promises, His faithfulness, who He is. Because a spouse can fail you. Your parents can fail you. Your pastor will fail you. Your deacon will fail you. People fail. But the Lord is the focus of everything. Thoughts? Whenever there's a threefold, you know, the three holies, uh, isn't it a Jewish thing that it's a magnitude of that also? Mm -hmm. Holy, holy, or holy, yes. Would be the, the it can't. Holy. 
there's actually a, uh, it's called a track, uh, I'm thinking of some kind of a dragon name, but it's tracarigan, I think, is, is the term for when it's like that, yes. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah, I don't. I don't see an issue with that at all. Well, that it depends. It could come. Some people would say there's both. You see the the, the thrones here. You see the thrones on Earth in the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, it you can you can find support for. It doesn't matter. No, no, I. No, it's not a dumb question. You're. I wish I could answer that for you. Well, one of the things that always confused me when I was young was, okay, um, the dead in Christ will rise. Mm-hmm. But the Lord obviously, so we're not dead. And this is just a, for clarity. We're not dead if we die in Christ. Right. Because obviously the man on, next to Jesus on, mm-hmm. on the throne went to paradise. Yes, with the Lord. absolutely. So there are some uh, cults, I won't call them, true Christian faith that believe in something called soul sleep. That when you die, you are asleep in the ground. You don't know it. You're not aware of it. But that's where you will be until the Lord comes back. But that is not what we believe the Bible teaches. The soul, everything about you uh, that makes you you goes to be with the Lord. The body, this outward flesh, uh, it stays, right? But yes, we are in the presence of the Lord. And that is very, very important. Um, very, very important. So yes. I was just saying that for clarity. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's easy to get confused there when he says the dead in Christ will Absolutely. Because we've already been risen. We're just entering new bodies like the Lord. And when Paul writes that, that's why he writes that the church at Thessalonica was struggling. There were some people who say, well, you missed it. You, you, you just missed it. And there were others who were saying, no, it's not going to happen. Like you said, they're, they're, they're where they're at and it'll all be taken care of in the end. And so Paul writes this beautiful picture in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? And I always, I always get in trouble when I start this out. But it literally says in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Now that word for ignorant means uninformed, unaware. But in our connotation, ignorant is... Don't be ignorant, right? Don't be dumb. Uh, but he writes this out of love, and Jake writes that out of stop being stupid, right? But he knows that this is a lot to take into effect because why? These people were losing loved ones because of their faith. And their faith, people, their family were dying for their faith. And so all of this struggle, but it's such a thing of hope because he says, lest you sorrow as others. Why the Christian faith matters is... There are only two ways of believing. You either believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He is, that He's prepared a place for you like He said He did in the book of John, and that He is going to come and get us one day. Or you believe that this is it. However much time God gives you, that's it. All the love that you have for your kids and for your spouse and for your family, you die and that's it. No, there's nothing. There's no anything. Unless you want to be 
Buddhist or something over there and you come back as a flea or a, or a camel. I don't know, right? I like to sometimes think that person would come back as certain animals to make myself feel better, but that's not right. But you're right, and that's the great struggle is that we don't have that. Right? We know absent from the body is present with the Lord. And so we're very thankful for that. So not dumb questions at all. Larry, right on point. Absolutely. Other comments. Eternity of gratitude is definitely warranted. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that And one, even if we're not going to go to something as far off as soul sleep, which would make someone be an occult, you have the Roman Catholic Church's teaching in purgatory. And um, that comes from the Apocrypha, one of the books that are very helpful. You, should, you could read them, but they're not Scripture, all right? They are, they are writings that are very important. There's stuff in them that's wrong, that's heretical, uh, but the Catholic Church views them as scripture and so um, you have to be very careful there because that's a very strong position and it's a very strong belief in many in the Catholic Church Uh, and why that position was given and this is if you study church history you'll know this uh, it was because if uh, you ever known a scoundrel that die and some preacher tried to lie and get him into heaven yeah, I've not done that, but I've been in a few funerals where I thought, I don't think that's the same person you're talking about that I knew. Um, but hey, you know what? You're not sure of where they went or what they're like. Well, pray for them and give money to move them. And it was actually used to pay for, as Dave just said. And so uh, Martin Luther and uh, the early church struggled with that because that's not what we believe the Bible teaches anywhere at all. Um, Where they started some of that teaching was they went in and said, well, you've read of Abraham's bosom, right? And how there's a great gulf. And so they're in a special holding area and twisted that tremendously, all right, of what the Bible teaches there and what that was talking about. And so you have to understand that when you take your last breath, that is your last opportunity to do things with the Lord, to make those decisions, right? You will go to be with Him or you will go and you will hear um, that you're not going to be with Him, all right? And so the soul sleep, a place that you can improve your standing, are not scriptural, okay? And be very careful when that discussion comes up. And I know what you're saying. Well, Jake, I know what my Bible says now. I can convince anyone that's not how it works, all right? You can share the truth with them, but that's all the Lord's business um, of changing hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, last thing, and I'll be done since we're about out of time. Um, in verse 
6b through 8, the four living creatures and their song. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne. And if you stop right there, what did it say? How often are they doing that? Continuously, right? Always. So don't miss that. Who lives forever and ever. That's the eternity of who God is. He wasn't created. He will never stop being. He always has been. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sit on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. It's repeated again. It's important. And cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. I just want two quick things I want you to notice here. One, all of heaven believes in the creation account of Genesis. It says right there, you created all things. That's very important. Because what we see in the beginning of the Bible is true. What we see in the middle of the Bible is true. And what we see at the end of the Bible is true. Because of who He is. He created all things, and so He is in charge of all things. That's very important as you study the book of Revelation. He says, you deserve all of the glory and honor and power. Once again, just pointing them to Him. You are worthy, O Lord. He's holy. He's worthy. It's all about His glory, His honor, His power. And He says, for you created all things. But don't stop there. And by your will they exist and were created. He says God was the power behind everything and His plan is what it's all operating on. And that should give us great confidence because when we flip over here and we start... Chapter 5 is pretty straightforward, not a lot there. But you get into chapter 6 and you start looking at the seals. You know, that, well, not too big of a deal. That's all right. Uh, you start looking at the, uh, the, the trumpets and, um, you know, there's some stuff in there. You get to chapter 10 and the mighty angel with a little book. Oh, you know, John eats the little book. Okay, now we're uh, starting to really kind of, you know, who are the two witnesses? These people are dead and now they're alive. And, uh, man, the witnesses were killed. And, and holy cow, and the woman, the child, the dragon. I mean, you're, you're really going to see some things that you think, what in the world? God wants you to be reminded He is in control. And if God can control all of this, what is going on in my life is not beyond His power. It's not beyond His authority. And I should trust Him. And so that's all I have. And like I said, I, I left those all blank tonight so that you could read it, study it, and as you read through things, Write them down. Highlight them. Man, this, is, this means a lot to me here. As a pastor who is constantly having to defend the Genesis account of creation, that God created all things is, is one of those highlights that I make in my Bible. Because I hear it all the time. Well, you know, you don't have to believe Genesis to believe Exodus. And if you don't believe Exodus, you don't have to believe that. Gen yeah, you have to believe it all. It's all or nothing, right? No matter what Andy Stanley tells you, all right? It's all or nothing. Right, So I, I, I'm confident in that, that God is in control, that God creates, that God knows. And so, but for you it might be, hey, you know what, Jake, I'm, I'm really struggling and uh, 
you know, the, the rainbow, the promises, that's, that's important to me, right? That, that's really, the Lord uses different things. It's all inspired, it's all inerrant, it's all infallible, but it's a living word. The Spirit of God uses it to speak truth, not only on all things, but into our specific situation. And so I think that's very important as we try to make decisions in our life, decisions as a church, decisions as a couple, is studying God's Word, knowing what it says, and being willing to listen when the Lord really deals with us about certain things. It can be correction. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, well, Jake, church is about me. I, 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 I'm, what would the church do without me? It'll, it'll move on just fine, all right? Someone say, well, what would the church do when God calls you home, Jake, if you don't get healthy? It'll do just fine, right? All right? God will take care of it. Why? Because it's about Him. Well, you say, well, Jake, what if, I, what if, what if Jamie doesn't lead this thing? And well, it'll be fine. We're getting ready to celebrate this summer his 20th year leading the singing here. Don't worry. He wants a big party and a big shindig, but we're just going to do something small. Like, I'm kidding. He does not, you know, Jamie, that's not, he wouldn't even brought it up. But you know me, I'm searching through the old church records. I'm like, man, he's been doing this a long time. Yeah, but I've not been here 20 years yet. I'll quit at 19 years and nine months just to get... Yeah, it's temporary. That's what he said. Still true, yeah. He says, putting up with you makes it be more temporary. But, you know, and so, but I mean that because every one of us are at different stages in our life, right? Some people uh, are, ex- are expecting their first child, like uh, our young couple right over here, right? And so they're going through a whole different thing. And all I'm praying for is no more kids, right? Lord, I don't care what, that's no more, right? You know, so, some of us have been blessed and, and with our health. And you're saying, Jake, I'm, a, I'm a, just a miracle that I'm still here. And others are in the middle of the fight. And so when you read the Word of God, God will use it to speak into your situation if you let Him. Anything else? I have a question. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just have this question: Are paradise and heaven the same? Yes, I think that some people would say, "Well, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the Old Testament, what what we see with the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham's bosom and all those things?" Um, but I believe that when Christ died and conquered, you know, took the shame of our sin and punishment, that um, he went back to where he came from. Right, and that is uh, heaven, and um, that's where he went. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you read Matthew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, when I started, I was really bold, and I would have said something like that. But now I just put my head down. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a terrible person, and walk off. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. I I just apologize and go on. Oh, attempted. Oh, I, 
Oh, I'm tempted to say all kinds of things. Usually I say them and then someone will watch on the Bible study from the nursing home and they'll be like, don't forget, we put you on every Wednesday night for all the residents and staff. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So, yeah, 